Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome to the industry news episode of Dig In, where we chat about the latest industry news and what it means for the future of insights. My name is Paul Gadet, and I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Dig Insights. I'm joined today by Mike Stevens, founder of Insight Platforms, a directory and knowledge hub for user research, consumer insight, and data analytics software and solutions, and a previous guest on our podcast. Mike, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks for having me back. Hey, how you doing, Paul? Mike, you're definitely someone in the industry that has their ear to the ground and have a great perspective on what's happening in the industry and why. And I wanted to get your take on a couple big things that have happened lately, especially as it relates to the ever-increasing M&A activity that we're seeing in this market. One, the recent announcement of Ipsos's acquisition of InfoTools. So for those who haven't heard of InfoTools, they have a data processing and visualization platform called Harmony. And that's used by many market research firms as well as end clients. It's been around, I believe, for almost 30 years, offers incredible functionality. We've used it at our organization. I know other end clients have it embedded into theirs. Mike, what's your take on this acquisition by Ipsos? Yeah, I was, I was surprised, i got to say. And um, uh, I, got a, I got a very brief heads up about five minutes before it went public because uh, I work with InfoTools as a, as a customer of mine. Ipsos isn't. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I can see how it makes a lot of sense. You know, this is a, this is a large scale kind of industrial strength, you know, survey data, analytics, visualization platform. It's used for some very complex use cases. So big multinationals, Coke, Shell, use it for long-term tracking stuff. It has a lot of nuance to the way that it works. That's very specific to those types of studies and it works very well. So Ipsos, global footprint, large scale data collection, you know, you can see that working quite well together. They've made a few other acquisitions in the tech space recently. I don't know, you know, they're on the lookout to try and roll up more of that, that capability in house, but it's, um, you know, it's a it's a challenging thing for for agencies to absorb. Yeah, you you said it's surprising, though. It surprised you. What's what about it surprised you? Uh, I guess I just I didn't I didn't really see it coming, and um, uh, you know, we, we uh, not something that was on the radar in any of the conversations I'd had around the around the industry. Uh, but I think it's uh, I think it's a good fit, and uh, you know, I think the the broader trend is definitely for agencies to bulk up on the you know on the tech capabilities whether that's a you know in-house building propositions or that's bolting in things that are going to drive their efficiency and reach i mean you know it's funny because i remember we had a clubhouse uh, discussion a few months back and i remember dave carruthers from vox bought me he said you know Cantar, ipsos those are places that you that you would sell to if you want basically your tech to die <laughs> uh, you know, is that is that a, is that a fair statement? I mean, is that you know, if we look at the uh, you know what the the future of InfoTools at Ipsos, you know, is it is it maybe a, a good acquisition for Ipsos? Maybe not as good of a sell by InfoTools. Um, look, I think that all agency models are to some extent under pressure to deliver 
you know, faster to automate, to drive more through digital platforms. So I think it's uh, it's a it's a logical thing for um, Ipsos. You know, if you're sitting there in New Zealand, you know, with a with a what is you know relatively niche cap- you know platform for global market research um, you know, studies, then you know I guess you look at that and you say, are we going to go further and faster by directly selling you know across the industry, or if we you know hitch our wagon to, to Ipsos with a global distribution and you know presumably a, a good roadmap that's compelling around you know becoming more digital, becoming more of a tech player. Then I think it. I think it can obviously, you know, feels like it makes sense for for both parties. But um, I mean, I think Dave's comment. I think it. I think it's. I think it's fair from where he sits in that, you know, he's got a technology company that's grown up in a totally different paradigm to a research services business, and it's those things clash. You know, I've worked in organisations where we've had both technology and services revenue lines. Those things can, if you don't manage them carefully, they can really eat each other. Culturally, you know, resource allocation, capital allocation, they're all very, very different models. So that that's challenging, I think, to make it work when what large agency groups like Ipsos and Kantar, they're going through transformations that are not just about acquiring technology it's about root and branch business model evolution it's about training it's about you know shifting the the focus of the type of work you want to do as well okay so last question on info tools because you know i have to i want to chat about some other developments with them yeah. but uh you know I, I can only imagine that a large percentage of the revenue that info tools is generating is coming from other research agencies a research yeah. agency is really going to want to continue using a tool that's owned by the, you know, one of the largest competitors in the market yeah, I mean, presumably not, unless, you know, the, there are clearly lots of other inertia factors that are in there that if the agency's client is used to the interface, if there's, you know, the, um, if there's long-term contracts that are tracking studies that are locked onto it. So, you know, I think on balance, you wouldn't, as an agency, want to, you know, be supporting some of your competitors, but it's it's not something that necessarily unwinds overnight. You know, these things can take time, I think. For sure. Okay, well, I'm going to stay with Ipsos because there's just they seem to be all over the news. Recently. <laughs> um, and there's an announcement shortly after that acquisition of InfoTools, uh, a couple changes to the leadership level. So first, uh, you know, a while ago, uh, no, actually not a while ago, just shortly after the announcement, Pierre Leman left as CEO of North America and was replaced by Lorenzo Larini. And then uh, it was just announced that not too long ago that Natalie Roos from the, the former L'Oreal executive uh, was the plant successor to Ipsos's global CEO, Didier Trucho, uh, which was announced this, this past July, and that that would not proceed uh, following what the firm calls deep discrepancies between the parties, and instead just recently announced Ben Page out of the UK would be appointed as the new CEO. Uh, Mike, like, what is happening at Ipsos? I I'd have to think that there was a significant error made and they received a ton of backlash internally. I don't know, but like, what's your take? What's going on there? You know, I, I have, I mean, I'd, I'd want to preface whatever I have to say with just saying congratulations to Ben Page because, you know, he's a, he's a fabulous guy, been very, very instrumental in, you know, leading the UK business, the Ipsos Mori business. So, um, you know, very happy for him to, to, to have that role. 
Now, if I were in his shoes and the way that it had come about, I think I would be um, you know, wanting to negotiate <laughs> fairly hard. Uh, and, you know, this is, I, I have to say, I find it absolutely astonishing the way that this happened, because, you know, it's, it's like something out of, you know, uh, a house of cards or so, you know, it's a, it, I don't have any of the inside information, so it's pure speculation. But what you see from the outside is a shockingly badly handled bit of, you know, public, uh, bit of PR from a billion euro business, you know, and it's um, I, very, very surprising that a company with those resources would react in this way. Whatever the deep discrepancies were, you know, it raises far more questions than it answers. Was it just a, you know, a difference of strategy? Was there some, you know, some issues lurking in history there that hadn't been surfaced until late on? Who knows? But it's a, it's a very, very strange way to go about things. But, you know, maybe it's par for the course, because the last time we were speaking, we were talking about uh, Kantar CEO who'd been in place for, uh, for about three or four months and then was no longer so um seems to be uh, seems to be the year for rapid turnover of, uh, of and senior. yeah and that's what i want first yeah you're absolutely right it does raise more questions i mean just having the phrase deepened discrepancies between the parties makes you just wonder what the hell happened but yeah you're right it's almost as if uh you know in my opinion if someone you know if i had was part of the ipsos organization and i saw that being the move um yeah where, where the company needs to go where the organization needs to go where the where the industry is going it just totally makes sense that Ben Page would be the right fit for that. Um, having somebody else from the outside come into the organization, I could only imagine it would, it, you know, raise some serious questions. But yeah, as you mentioned, similar to the uh, the announcements and uh, the transitions with Cantor, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, realization that some of the moves that they're making is just not the right moves, and they're quickly trying to, you know, solve those issues by uh, putting somebody else that's more reliable in place. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. But as I say, I'd, I have no uh, no gossip, no in, no insider knowledge, so it's pure uh, pure speculation as to what went on there. But it wow, then let's looks... we can speculate all we need to then for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like a hell of a car crash from the outside. That's all. <laughs> okay, enough about Ipsos because uh, you know I don't want to chat. You know, all about just Ipsos. I mean, let's switch gears a little bit here. I'm going to chat uh, a bit about a client who's actually doing some interesting work. So PepsiCo has launched an in-house data practice called PepBiz. It's using real-time insights, advanced analytics, and data science to target shoppers. PepBiz combines a predictive model with PepsiCo's customer data to help retail partners reach shoppers in a personalized way across multi-platforms. That's what the that's what it says, and that's what I'm reading. Right. Uh, so this includes identifying the right target audiences and also seeing which stores shoppers are visiting and what food and beverage projects they uh, products they buy from other stores. Okay, first of all, I didn't know that uh, Pepsi has its own customer data, so that might be news to me. I'm not even sure how they get their own customer data, but what what's your take on what Pepsi's even trying to accomplish here? And like, how are they, maybe like other end clients, looking to monetize customer data? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is... I think this is a you know a kind of trade channel management um, proposition. It's a uh, you know it, it, it's effectively what, what you look around grocery retail around the world. What you find is very fragmented between you know different countries. You tend to have national champions. You don't have very many global grocery retailers who are you know operating across markets. So what you have is um, you know retailers in market who don't have the same perspective on you know maybe broader trends maybe you know some of the behaviors that are happening where 
Pepsi has cross category across snack foods and you know beverages. It has cross country. It has lots of trend data. It has lots of concept data. So you ally that with a lot of other data sources that are potentially panel based, but you know rolled up to to put them into a more predictive model. And then alongside that, you know, that obviously Pepsi, like all the all the uh, the, the CPG businesses, are, are kind of flirting and trying with the direct to consumer stuff. So they'll be building some of the DTC data into that. Right. I think some of it's probably, um, you know, Pepsi has, in my experience with them, they've always been very, um, I think, quite go ahead, quite leading edge in the way that they will try and acquire data and work with data. So 15 years ago, more even, um, when I was working with Kantar, Pepsi had a, a, a custom built um, uh, consumption tracker for diary for snack foods and beverage occasions and it was run on pdas do you remember them and it was it was all custom scripted and everything and obviously and it's moved kind of smartphone and third party but their own internal data that so they've got a lot of continuity of being able to do this stuff and i think you know the way that they've partnered with um uh with zappy and black swan for a lot of their innovation stuff the head of insight is a data guy stefan gans is a you know is, a, yeah. is an analytics and data guy more than a traditional research person so i think you know this is i think this is probably about grocery you know retail rather than a, a, a revenue generator in its own right fair enough but yeah, i mean there was other examples we chatted recently about boots out of the uk that had that actually was starting its own I think you said maybe a media division. Yeah, in-house uh, in-house media business. You know, because obviously they've got a huge number of um, you know brands that that sell through Boots. Boots has got a unique position in the UK, very kind of dominant you know strength in that uh, health and beauty market. So, I think there are. This has been coming sort of for a while. You know, the the threat for the last kind of 10 years has been in-housing of you know of media and uh, planning roles and, and even creative, but. The reality is it's it's quite hard to do that it's if it's not in your dna and it's the same i think on the insight side of things a lot of you know diy platforms a lot of self-service capabilities people i think were keen to see that as a you know as a, as a kind of speed and cost saving thing much more immediate data but what happens is if you don't have the right skills, you don't have the right teams in-house, you don't have the headcount to then go and have all the people that you know, agencies historically have had, you, you know, you, it, it's quite hard to make it work unless you've got very, very large teams. So I think the, um, you know, the, uh, that boots model of bringing it in-house or, you know, or you know, creating a, a, an agency in-house, I think is probably quite unique. I don't think there'll be many organisations will have the, you know, the, the investment to do that. I feel like, you know, this kind of goes in waves where there is an opportunity to really monetize some of the information that you have and data that you have. And I think it's much more recent than than previous, but uh, whether it's, you know, some sort of internal initiative that is attempting to monetize some element of the data that uh, the organization has. And then during economic, uh, you know, good times, that's fair. You know, absolutely take that risk and let's see what we can get. But it's also sometimes the first thing to be cut when in, a, yeah. in an economic downturn. Yeah. And so it's really, you know, proving your case early on yeah. uh, and seeing if you can actually sustain a you know, profitable division of, uh, of the otherwise, you know, yeah. significantly at risk uh, as soon as the market starts to go down of being cut. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it does the pendulum does tend to swing in both directions, doesn't it? 
Yeah. All right. Last topic I wanted to just discuss today. And in fact, look at that on my topic. It's about insight platforms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what I, what I, why I really want to talk about this today, because I think over the last few months, I've really seen it evolve uh, from what it was to now this almost like learning center where we, uh, you know, anyone can go on and learn about uh, technology. We learn about research, learn about methods. Uh, you know, there's a res tech school, you have master classes of really educational aspects to your to your insight platform site, which I think is, you know, fantastic. And I think, you know, warrants a lot of more discussion and, and explanation about what it, what, it, what are you doing now with it? And what do you intend to do it? And, and why should people go to insight platforms? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely evolving, you know, like, uh, you, we, we've talked about I set this up, off the back of the, the consultancy business that I was running because it, it seemed that there wasn't really a you know a central a resource to be able to learn about and to find these new technology partners. And it's grown really the the events on the e-learning side of things is really what's growing and what's keeping us very busy at the moment. So the, the e-learning, like you say, there's a it, we're only at the start of this journey, but what, what we're building is a kind of on-demand academy for the new types of research especially so you know if you want to understand how do you run online focus groups how do you you know run analytics uh, the the kind of social media you know ai tools this type of thing and build some some capability building around there and to be honest have also the you know the baseline for some of the traditional methods because there's a lot of people coming into research like we said, you know, in the, in the client organizations don't have that background, but, you know, all on demand, all, uh, you know, in kind of flexible video format, that's the, the plan for that. Um, and one of the first things out of the door has been the, the masterclass series that I've uh, delivered on them um, on research technology. So it's a, it's a series of, it's really for people who are in the business of research technologies, either you're a SaaS platform or you're an agency and you're buying or you're creating technology. How do you navigate this space? How do you, you know, go to market? What are the competitive, what's the landscape like? What are the things you need to bear in mind if you're a services business that's, you know, getting into technology for the first time, that kind of thing. So there's, you know, there's some content there. Um, and the other big thing that we're doing, uh, we're doing a, a two-day event next week all about behavioral research and insights. So it's a very, very broad topic. And in fact, um, I need to uh, I need to finish my presentation for it, which is trying to map the, the kind of landscape of behavioral research tools. And it's actually so diverse. You've got stuff in there from, you know, neuroscience, you've got EEG, you've got facial coding, you've got eye tracking, all of those things. You've also got video analytics. And really, there's a lot of uh, you know location data. There's the kind of you know on-site behavioral analytics that a lot of the uh, digital platforms are using. So there's a there's an enormous area now, which is delivering insight not from questions, not from you know what, what as a research industry we'd think of as traditional methods. So that's um, we got two days and a dozen uh, sort of masterclass presentation sessions there. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah that doesn't. Yeah. Even you know, two days of behavioral, uh, uh, you know, ex exploratory methods doesn't even seem like enough, uh, given how much uh, there is to even talk about this. I think, you know, what's really great about about the what you're doing and, and, the, and the access to the information you're providing is it's really showcasing how broad this industry is going from how yep. or how, you know, clients are using data across multiple ways to deliver and gain insights to the consumer, whether it's 
passive data, you know, customer behavioral data, purchase data, transactional data, or just traditional survey data. I mean, it's 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 uh, the the market itself, the insights industry is uh, is growing rapidly. We've seen it from just some of the new definitions that out of the insights association where they're showing how big that that market is uh, and growing. And so just taking a look at your site, if those of you, uh, you who do go on, you can definitely see all the different topics that are discussed and how broad uh, this industry is getting. Yeah. Yeah, very much. That's the that's the challenge is actually, uh, you know, putting a tying a bow around it and defining where the industry starts and stops when you look across, you know, UX and CX and analytics, it's, um, it's a kind of broad and quickly evolving space. Well, Mike, you know, congratulations on all the success with that Insight Platforms. I think it's uh, it's fantastic. I, I encourage everybody to go on, take a look at some of the courses that are available. Uh, I even know that there's uh, some deals on uh, all eight courses that you can take right now. Um, I'm looking forward to joining some of them myself. Uh, so, you know, I encourage everybody to go on. But thanks, Mike, again, for joining me today. It's always a great discussion. Always good to get your perspective. And I really appreciate you you're taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.